Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. Hello and welcome to A Life in Dublin. I'm your host, Mark, and with your permission, we'd love this podcast to be a digital companion for the next little bit at least. Michael is the editor of the very popular Totally Dublin magazine. He has spent a career working in journalism, curating and documenting stories from around Dublin and Ireland, so I thought no better man to talk to about the changing faces of the city, what it was, what it is, and what it needs to become. Thank you all very much for listening. If you'd like to help out the show, you could share with a friend or leave a rating or review. Those small acts can make an incredibly big difference to me. Nothing makes me happier than to see someone has been enjoying the show. And that also helps to grow our audience and attract amazing guests. To those of you who have already shared, rated, etc., thank you so, so much. But now, here's my conversation with Michael. Okay, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I should obviously turn, turn my phone. Um, yeah. Is it called silence? Does it matter? Well, no, actually. No, no worries. If it goes off, there's no problem. Mm. So he was the one who introduced... Uh, well, uh, well, uh, I knew what Totally Dublin was before, but I didn't obviously know you as the editor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and he was saying that you'd be an amazing person to talk to about, about Dublin, but also about the kind of cultural side of, of Dublin, mm. how maybe it's evolved and changed over the years. Mm. Um, so I'd be interested <laughs> to chat about that. But, yeah. But also, like, doing a bit of, a, a small bit of research when I have time to do it. You, you've had an interesting career as well. Um, yes, I guess I have. Yeah, it's kind of went off in a few different directions. Um, and it's always, it's, it's, I guess I, I guess at the backbone of it all is, was kind of an interest in um, journalism. Yeah. Um, and, and to that extent, I remember, like, that was something I really aspired to. Um, when I was in secondary school or coming up to kind of leaving cert time and I went back to uh, the Kerryman uh, for a summer in Tralee uh, okay. so I'm, I'm a Corkman but okay. you know Corkman slash Kerryman there's both of them uh, so I went back there for a summer uh, I think before the year before my leaving cert or maybe just after it and um, yeah and that was the kind of first uh, baptism of, of that world uh, I remember uh, John Joe Brosnan, 
who was the uh, the the head of the Duhalo GAA, uh, was my kind of connection to get in there. And Jared Colloran, who went on to edit The Star, was the editor at the time. Um, and yeah, it was it was it was fascinating. World, and then I would go off and cover local football games and and write up really flowery reports in them. <laughs> uh, I had this kind of uh, kind of over egging of language maybe at times. So I would be introducing words like cakewalk and stuff like that into because yeah. ultimately I was doing I was trying to make them interesting for myself. because yeah. also the, I guess there's there was at the time maybe this perception that there was a limited language that you could use to report a football match. So therefore I was kind of pushing the boundaries myself in a Borbui versus uh, uh, drum tariff match on a Tuesday night at whatever half six um, so that was my initial uh, baptism in that world I guess and then I um, was in Trinity uh, I studied Bess in there mm-hmm. and I got involved in Trinity News which was the kind of next extension of, of that interest for me um, and I do remember yeah you'd be Covering events in the hist or the fill, like I remember doing a write up on Peter Mayhew at the time, who was I think the Northern Ireland Secretary of State. Mm. Um, and then I think two that particularly stand out for me at the time was one was doing one on Paddy Finnegan, who was the is uh, now passed away, but he was the seller of the big issue, mm. who was outside Trinity College and literally outside the window that you would look down from Publications House. Mm. And I guess it just struck me that you know. He was on our doorstep and nobody had ever actually went up to him and got his kind of life story. And the other one was John Harbison, the late state pathologist, oh, who was yeah. actually based in Trinity College. Yeah. And again, it was kind of sometimes, you know, you can stretch uh, in a fanciful way as far afield as possible. And then occasionally what you're actually looking for is much closer or yeah. potentially. Um, and so that was an interesting one because he'd never really given an interview um, he's a lovely man. I, I've met him before. He's yeah, my na- my sister's neighbour. Oh no way! Yeah. He yeah, like he he was a he, he did he he he's yeah he was he did an amazing job and obviously utterly fascinating at the time and and would even have been like involved in the whole Sophie Tuscon de Plantier Bailey scenario down in yeah. West Cork at, uh, and many many other high profile cases. So that was that they were two that were fascinating. But then I also managed to I guess blag my way into working in the business post for a summer Mm. and then I guess my kind of retrospective big break as they might say would have been um I would have been an I would have been a reader of Phoenix magazine probably from a from a relatively young age kind of just curiosity and knowing who's who within that world of of media and I remember coming back up from uh, home, which is is near between Borhabui and Newmarket and Northwest Cork, and and mm-hmm. you get get to train a band here and then connect in Mallow. And mm-hmm. I'm standing on the platform, and I spotted uh, Angus Fanning, who's now again passed away, but was mm-hmm. the editor of the Sunday Independent at the time. Yeah, and I remember sitting on the train, going, "Oh my God, I I need to say something to him. Uh, this yeah. is my lucky break. This might be my chance." And um, Anyway, he was there with his with his kids, uh, and with uh, Anne Harris was the deputy editor at the same time, and they were in a holiday kickback mode. So I was like, "There's nothing to lose here. There's really nothing to lose." And so I went up to him and literally said, "I just wanted to say I really admire your editorship of the Sunday Independent," um, which was as as 
not even off the cuff, but obviously as flattering as you could get. Yeah. And genuinely, people like compliments. Uh, and they're not given enough, I guess. Uh, and he was disarmed and in holiday mode and asked me who I was. And I, then that was my in. And I ended up working in the Sunday Independent for like two or three summers and part-time during college. Well, but how, how did that go from the compliment to... Like, did you then say, like, I'm a journalist and I, I'd love to w- work with you? Like, how, yeah, how did that I'm sure I kind of sidled up to him then in, <laughs> in a kind of very cheesy, smarmy way. I had my in. He was like, who are you? And thank you. God, it's so nice or whatever yeah. else. Um, so, yeah, I used that. That was my that was my little small toe in the door Brilliant. scenario. Um, and then he said that he was going to be away, but I should drop in the following week. And uh, and I did, and I met uh, Liam Collins uh, and Willie Keeley, who were the kind of top team uh, news editor and deputy news editor, editor, and um, and they took me under their wing. And I guess yeah, it was like a kind of a crazy time. I remember, I remember, uh, it was like so long ago, but it was around the time that Veronica Guerin was murdered. Mm. So I was around for that, and we're talking nineteen ninety five or six here now, possibly six. Um, and so I was there for like three summers in the kind of, not saying halcyon days, but very much like Sunday Independent and in its larger than life phase yeah. um, with a lot of personality journalists. Yeah. Um, and so it was a brilliant, weird, bizarre introduction to, to journalism because I guess I learned so much and I learned so little at the same time as well. Yeah. Because, I, I, you know, there was... Um, because it was just, it was quite of a, a weird world. I'd turn up on Thursdays and Fridays and do like maybe start off doing like petrol, price of petrol and, and do a little, you know, there'd be ringing up 20 different petrol places and showing the variations of prices or stuff like that. So mm. kind of low hanging fruit. Um, and then I kind of morphed into doing more significant pieces over time for them. Um, uh and it was just a bizarre world. It was really was. I remember being at a, like a dinner with a Christmas dinner and I'm sitting beside Terry Keane <laughs> out in Monkstown. And so you're kind of thrown into this kind of, it's, it's like, I don't want to liken it to Devil Wears Prada, but yeah. you are kind of thrown into this, what would have been a slightly celebrity world yeah. um, because they were very much in an element of the celebrity journalism uh, where the journalist was almost as big as the story sometimes. Um, um, what was the, what was it about the world that you like really thrived on? Was it the writing? Um, was it the um, the getting to meet new people? Was it maybe uh, slightly the intensity of it? I would imagine. Yeah, I think all of the above. Like, I guess I'm 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 kind of sociable, so I enjoyed that. And and look, I was I was the young kid in there, so they yeah. kind of enjoyed that buzz as well. <laughs> you know, maybe. Um, and I remember it was so old, long ago that I often say the story was like. Where the old independent house, I know they're on Talbot Street now, but this was Middle Abbey Street at the mm-hmm. time. Um, so, so I remember um, the hard frame of Willie's, uh, Willie Keeley's uh, computer. Uh, it was so hard and so old school that he would be able to stump his cigarette off out of, <laughs> at the side of it. And there was literally cigarette oh, burns no. at the side of it. So it was that kind of crazy world on the third floor of, of the place. Um, and yeah, it was a, it was a mixture of everything. Like I, it was also that weird time, which is, which I guess is sadly gone now, but we would, I'd be in there maybe on Thursday afternoons and Fridays and then 
the whole team, you know, the, the paper would have been, you know, 90% of it would have been done and ready with, with that kind of window on of Saturday to deal with the front page or whatever the breaking news stories were. But the vast majority of it would be finished and we'd all then basically go down to the Oval, which was the, the bar next door, yeah. at about seven o'clock in the evening, half seven, and I would fall out of there at like 12 o'clock or something. You know, but there was a great sense, Vinnie Doyle, who's, who's also passed away, because if you live long enough, mm. you realise some people die in the process. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it... Uh, there was an amazing sense of camaraderie and it wasn't just a booze, but the sense that I feel and I don't know if it exists. Uh, I doubt it uh, outside of maybe the obvious the summer party or the Christmas party. Yeah. But then there was a real sense of we've done it. We've done our work. Mm. We're downing tools and we're, we're having a few pints or we're, you know, we're just celebrating our achievements of the week. Yeah. And so it was a fantastic feeling that I guess has, has gone from the world of media now because... You know, it, there isn't that office exa- yeah. environment anymore. And that's yeah. not just unique to journalism. Mm. It's, it's in many other contexts as well. Yeah, massively so. You hear about even people working in other industries and the struggle of getting people into the office. Like, obviously, there's there's many benefits of being able to work from home, etc. But that aspect of camaraderie, that team, it's a team feeling like we did it. Um, yeah, and it's really impacting on the city, um, I think. Mm. Just not, I think it's having a really detrimental impact as well. Um, I was dropped into possibly the best sandwich place in the city yesterday, uh, Green Bench, which mm. is on Montague Street. And they were just saying it's they're really suffering. It's really tough because wow. the office because office workers haven't returned. And that would have been literally their bread and butter. Yeah. Um, and it's, so, it's, so the impact of... Uh, and I'm saying not forcing, because obviously everything has to evolve. And there isn't, I think, the, the idea of the five-day week, everybody's nine to five or whatever those hours are, is gone. Yeah. But the lack of enforcement of it is really having a detrimental impact on the city centre in particular. I yeah. think the suburbs or, or neighbourhoods have particularly flourished. Um, and that's evidenced by the growth of really lovely little local coffee shops and, and eateries and stuff. But I think the city centre itself has struggled to recover because... Yeah because of the just office workers not being in and not basically popping out for a sandwich at lunchtime. Yeah. So it's... It, it, even the city centre has a, a very different feel to what it did 10, 15 years ago. Um, from the point of view of, like, I think from my point of, from my observations, I feel like a lot of Irish people are spending more time in the suburbs and wherever they might be and then what I like to call the new Irish, which is like amazing multicultural mix mm-hmm. within Dublin city centre, seem to spend most of their time in the city centre. Yeah. They come into the city, they, they have a drink, they whatever. Um, and there does seem to be that a bit of a, a divide now. I still love coming into the city centre. Like I much prefer that than going for a pint in the local. Um, I think it's an, there's an element of age and affordability about it as well. Um, I think... Um, you know, certain people, I know loads of friends of mine who've left the city for a variety of reasons. Um, they've been priced out of it. They're looking yeah. to rear kids. Their lives lives have changed. Um, but I, and then I think it's it's like what you do get in the city centre a lot is obviously, obviously the tourist market, but also various students, you know, from South America or Latin America or wherever else that are over here from Mexico and Brazil, obviously, and places like that. Um, that are living in the city centre, uh, um, obviously living in, dare I say, conditions that people of a certain age are not prepared to or don't wish to anymore. Yeah. And I'm talking about, you know, sharing a bedroom or yeah. 
you know, eight people in a three bedroom house and yeah. like everybody goes through maybe that phase. I remember doing it myself on a J1 and, you know, that's that's it's part of life. But now I guess it's certainly there's an age in which people don't wish to live like that anymore. Mm. And that's that becomes difficult. Yeah. Um, and that has an impact. Mm. What happened after the Irish Independent? Uh, after the Sunday Independent, it was um, it was a case of. Oh, God, I ended up. Then I ended up going to, went off in a J1 in San Francisco, had a spectacular summer with, with great mates who are still, you know, the backbone of my kind of life. Um, oh, brilliant. And then I remember I didn't, I peeled myself back into the country around Halloween. Mm. <laughs> and that was I guess a good J1. It was a great J1. Mm. Yeah, it was a, it was an overextended, brilliant J1. Um and then I guess maybe my mindset had changed a bit. I certainly, I suddenly, I wasn't the student anymore. So, mm. so, so I think I might have went into the Sunday Independent a little bit. But it was very much that fork in the road moment. It was like, well, what do you want to be now, or what do you want to do? And in all honesty, I just drifted, mm. um, and kind of fell out of. I realized I wasn't the person I had been before, and I just kind of. There's, let's just say there's possibly a lost period in my life, <laughs> mm. <laughs> which might have involved doing TEFL teaching, which did involve doing TEFL teaching, but a good pal of mine, mm. and kind of just like taking the foot off the pedal for a while. Um, and then I ended up getting into, it was 2001, I guess. Uh, and then I remember seeing News Talk was about to launch uh, the radio station and I saw that David McWilliams was about to do a show on it mm-hmm. and I uh, reached out to him and uh, met him in the schoolhouse and I would have been a, a reader of the New Yorker at the time and still am and I remember carrying it into the meeting with him and I think that probably sealed the deal because he was you know he just spotted me as somebody who had wider ranging interests and that's he was he was helming the breakfast show um, wow. at the time so yeah I kicked off there as a researcher for, for a while um, and did what does that actually involve you know being a researcher for the likes of him is that like just well it was it was. I guess it was one of those things where it was a startup, uh, and so it was and it was it was um, bootstrapped I suppose is the word in terms mm. of like the resources were always stretched thinly. Everybody did multiple jobs. So I would I was normally an evening person. I'm not, not necessarily a morning person still, but uh so I would step in in the afternoon and kind of take over the the brief and see what was where the gaps were. Okay. And then respond literally to phoning up people, setting up stuff, some in advance, some uh, I remember one in particular was David Trimble, another person who's passed away uh and i would be ringing him up and i knew he liked opera and that was my way of trying to get him on the radio show was just like easing my way into starting to knowing these people so you a lot of it would be at one level dealing with government press officers and then getting people in to talk about what it says in the papers and so you just had this long list that you kind of went through and and sometimes you know news stories will have you know obviously a certain currency for that moment in time and there will be spokespeople or representatives who are out there willing to bat on behalf of for or against or whatever the case might be um and so they're so then you're basically just in a battle with you know morning ireland or, or whoever yeah it would have been morning ireland at the time yeah um to try and land the name or the angle or then you'd shuffle around and obviously 
they would nearly always get first dibs mm. on somebody in terms of like because of their because of their reach um and so then you would just settle for the maybe 25 to you know nine slot instead of the 10 past eight or whatever the case might be yeah. there's a bit of horse horse trading going on um and then you're just trying to think of maybe you know outside of the breaking news agenda there was other things you'd set up i guess my my kind of most famed one in my brain that I can remember is is organizing an interview with uh, again somebody who's dead uh, Christopher Reeve wow uh, and so I was really into these kind of like reaching outside of like the, the standards who are the guests we can get and trying to you know base it as broadly as possible sometimes a little too broadly I remember like going you know what David we need to lead on North Korea 10 past 8 and he was up for it obviously not nobody not necessarily but like maybe a, a nation waking up in Ireland doesn't necessarily need to be, you know, clued into what's happening in North Korea 10 past 8. Um, but, you know, I think that was the fun bit, was that there was a lot of, um, there was a lot of latitude. It sounds uh, like you had freedom, obviously, to... Yeah, to, to... yeah, I think so. And also the thing was, because we were so stretched, you, there was means in which you just had to plug the gaps, right? Mm. And so you can only, you know, divvy up so much of yourself. Yeah. And it's an it's an endless cycle. So you know, once the show is over, you tear up the script and you move on, and you're on yeah. to the next one. So it's really you know sometimes you got to fill the gaps, mm. and that can be that allows for a little bit of outside the box thinking or outlandishness or whatever else the case might be. Mm. Your skill at building relationships is something you developed, had to work on, or perhaps something that just come naturally to you. Um. I think it probably comes from my mum, who's a very uh, outgoing person, incredibly outgoing and sociable. Um, so, yeah, it's like, I guess it's kind of wavered, maybe. Uh, in more recent times, I guess I've become a little more private, mm. especially when it comes to kind of like stuff like social media, mm. personally, but though I do stuff for the magazine, obviously. Yeah. Um, but I guess it's like just comes from an innate curiosity. Mm. Um of what people are doing uh, or things that particularly interest me or what's a different angle that we can, I can come up with. Mm. But when you were calling up the likes of David Trimble and, and building that relationship, you found out he likes opera, I'm going to use this. Mm. Like, I, I would have been very nervous making that phone call. Yeah, I think so. But like then again, it's kind of like it all comes back to Angus and, and meeting him on the train. What is the worst thing David Trimble can say to me? No, I'm not yeah. available. Now, I did have a... <laughs> I did have a, dram- a one fantastic dramatic moment when I was working in the Sunday Independent um, in which I uh, oh god okay here we go <laughs> <laughs> alright here we go I love it I um, so basically Pat Kenny was presenting the Lake Late Show at the time and we got a tip off that it had fallen out of the top 10 TAM ratings for the first time ever okay and so I went in and called him on a Saturday morning and he was none too impressed uh, and kind of just just started ranting and wow. and so much so that it was his birthday and his wife pulled wow. the phone off of him and said, stop blood hunting my family. Wow. And he and like, again, it's like you know, all you have to do is say, I'm not available for comment. Sometimes. Yeah. So it's like, that is the oxygen of publicity. Yes. And it's like, so David can say no, or Pat could say no. And then he was, then he actually went on, Andy O'Mahony was presenting that kind of mid-morning 
show, possibly the one that Marion and Brendan O'Connor, Marion Finuc and Brendan O'Connor present now, to give out about me, I think as well. So, so he didn't name me, but he 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 was giving out about being, you know, disturbed yeah. on his on his weekend. But like, ultimately, he's a public some, figure. He's a public figure, and the easiest thing you can say is. I'm not available for comment. Yeah. It's my day off. Yeah. I don't want to talk about it. So that was the same with David Trimble. But anybody, all they can do is say no to you. Mm. And then you just move on with your life. How did you react after Pat Kenny's rant? That was grand. I guess, <laughs> you know, it's, it's one of those kind of like stories that I have a good few friends of mine are going, oh, he's still dining off of that one. And it's like, <laughs> yeah, I am. You know, it's like, of you course. know, he, he, he lashed me out of it. Um, yeah. And again, it was just that kind of world in which like he ranted about me. Ultimately, I'm not the person who published the article in the end. You know, it's no. a newspaper. No. And at the same time, he's happily photographed with Angus back in the day, you know, two months later at a gala event. So it's like, you know, if you've that much issue about it, take it out with the higher higher up echelon. So any, you know, I'm kind of like, get over yourself. In retrospect, you probably did him a favor. I'm sure he needed to shout at somebody and it just so happened that you popped up on his phone and you were the Yeah, person. you know, it's like unfortunate it was his birthday, but you know, <laughs> these things happen, god. Yeah. He's a professional. He's he's done he's done okay for himself since. It hasn't ruined his career. No. You know, he, yeah. he's a survivor. Badgers aside and mm. all of his other concerns, yeah. neighborly concerns, but you know. Yeah. How did how did Totally Dublin come out of all of this? So, Totally Dublin's been around for 20-odd years. Um, and so, uh, out of news talk, I then ended up... I guess the connection with Totally Dublin is I... Um, I set up a music festival uh, with, a, with mates of mine. And they used to run a night called... Uh, um, Lazy Bird, which mm. was upstairs in the International. Okay. Uh, and particularly Mossy, in, 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 who worked in Tower Records at the time, which is obviously next yep. door to, to where the International is and where Cost is now. Um, they did this great experimental music night every Sunday night, and I was really into that kind of world of, of music. Um, as a quick sidestep, I guess, is I managed to put on um, a, a, a show in the Olympia with the again dead person uh, my artist Marcel Marceau wow um, who I interviewed in San Francisco on my J1 it was one of two interviews I did over there and he kind of blew my mind and I kept in contact with him and I managed to wrangle a deal with a really lovely person called Barney Whelan who worked in the ESB at the time through a friend of mine Christine Monk got them to sponsor it took a punt put him on it was a success wow. had a bit of money and decided to do the obvious thing which is kind of try and uh, lose it um, <laughs> rather than invest it. Well, I invested in myself, and I guess in festivals. Yes, of course. So I set up this festival called Moore uh, 20 years ago now, down in Charleville Castle. Okay. Um, and it was the year, it was just before the first Electric Picnic. So it was kind of on that cusp of early day boutique festivals. We'd have been, you know, um, inspired by the likes of, um, oh God, there's a festival in the UK called, I was going to say All Tomorrow Now, but... Um, Anyway, the name escapes me, mm. but it was kind of a... There was a number of festivals floating out there. Sonar was happening at the time as well in Barcelona. Yeah. Um, and anyway, we did it. All Irish acts, a few international ones. Um, and then, so I was into music and and in, in news talk at the time, there was a um, a girl called Nina Happy Yoki who worked on another show and her boyfriend at the time 
ran a label called Lakota Records. Okay. And Lakota Records are kind of best known for working with a band called JG72. Yeah. Uh, and so Nina knew that I was into music and she was, and knew that I was kind of maybe burning out of the the news talk gig a little bit. Um, and so she connected me with Conor and ended up moving and working with him on the record label for a number of years. And during that time, uh, we were above uh, a bar, it's now called The Jar on Camden yes. Street. Um, it had previous incarnations as Solace. Mm-hmm. There's a few different names for it over the years, but um, I remember meeting a Swedish guy, two Swedish guys, um, uh, uh, Stefan Hellenius and Peter Steen Christensen. Um, and Stefan knew Connor at the time, and, and uh, they were setting up this magazine called Totally Dublin. So I was kind of there from the very beginning. Wow. And so they were talking about this, you know, uh, great print magazine that they that they were going to launch in the Irish market, and. Um, and just yeah so it's been around for a long time so i ended up moving on and working in music for you know the best part of five or six years with with lakota and then subsequently with lakota and with v2 records who we looked after at the time as well and wichita as well and a number of other little labels so worked with likes of block party and stereophonics and Mercury Rev and Elbow and just anyway, you know, you wow. kind of was their point of contact when they came into town. And then I ended up moving on and working with Pod. Um, mm. And then... Wow, you've had a, um, an exciting career. Yeah, and that's probably brought me to 2009. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then I ended up setting up an online a culture guy called Lacool. Okay. Uh, with a friend of mine, uh, Kieran Walsh. Um, and we were based out of South Studios for a number of years, around the corner from here. And that was, I, I spotted that in Barcelona. He'd also kind of spotted it around the same time as me. Uh, René, who's the Swedish guy, seemed to have a connection with Swedes in my life. He connected us. We set it up. It was this, it was this um, newsletter with bite-sized, recommended, curated culture. You know, that, that's what it was. Uh, it was quite basic in hindsight, but it had a hot second. You know, mm. it was a few years and we kind of tried to work with brands and built agency sort of connections and did some interesting brand projects um, and, you know, commissioned photographers and illustrators. Um, so we ended up doing 299 editions of it um, up until 2016, wow. tw- into 2015, 2016. So we did about five years of it. And yeah. It was a really fun project. Yeah, you know, ultimately what we were doing was celebrating culture in a, in a kind of a very basic email format with GIFs before they were, you know, yeah. popular scenarios. This was pre-Instagram, just on the cusp of it. Um, so look, it, it had its moments and it was incredibly enjoyable. And then I drifted for a while again, um, went off to Berlin for the summer. And uh, Stefan, I think it was late 2016, got in contact with me and asked if I'd be interested in taking over as editor of Totally Dublin. Wow. And so for me, it was this weird thing in that I liken it to getting a uh, getting a rescue boat off of the Titanic and deciding to row back towards it. And I mean that in the best possible way in that like deciding to go from digital back to print is the absolute, you know, counter instinctive uh, thing that most people would do. Yes. Um, but for me, it's been really rewarding and really interesting in that, like, there is so much digital content yeah. tripping over each other. 
and print is a little bit more of a cherished format now. Yeah. Uh, and the thing that I'm proud of with the magazine is it looks bloody great. It does. And like it may have its niche audience and it's certainly, you know, there's no, uh, I'm not like proclaiming that this is the comeback of print um, or that it's heyday hasn't passed, but it, it, it has its, um, I guess it's just rewarding because there's a tangibility to it and I'm always interested in creating unique content and not just, you know, and creating something where, you know, thoughts go into it, words, processes, people get to work and experience, you know, um, get to get a foothold or get to make connections as well, get to see, get to be proud of their work. Um, and so it's just, it's, 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 it's in its own slipstream, so yeah. to speak. And that's kind of nice. What do you think is uh, trending in terms of culture around Dublin at the moment? Um, if there was kind of maybe some snapshots or some highlights that you could identify of, of what is the, the current culture. It's, it's very hard to do something like that in the moment. It's maybe it's a bit easier when you're looking back to say, oh, yeah, this was happening at the time. And well, Yeah, I think just like, I guess it's kind of just more, it's just, there's always collectives doing it for themselves. So I guess the easiest sort of thing to be is like, oh, you know what, there's nothing going on. And that's just the easy throwaway dismissive take that sometimes just comes with people just being a little older, a little more, you know, uh, a little bit um, more narrow in their focus or field of interest. Mm. But there's always stuff happening. Yeah. You know, and if that's, whether that's... Um, Dublin Modular down in Palace around the corner from here or whether it's um, Dublin Digital Radio mm. or whether it's the guys from Temporary Pleasure that were trying to pull off this great project in Dublin Port which unfortunately was kiboshed by insurance mm. but whether it's, uh, you know, stuff happening in the complex. Um, yeah. there, the city's all, culture's always happening in the city. You've just got to, you know, you've got to make an effort to find it and you've got to be open-minded about what you're experiencing. Yeah. Um, but it's no doubting it's tough and and it's at a bit of a pinch point in terms of uh the ability of people to afford to create culture i think that's the challenge ultimately you know it's like culture creating culture is a largely state subsidized uh mm. endeavor um and therefore, it's a little bit of a luxury to be able to make a living out of it and you know it's much easier to write a book or compose a song when you don't have to worry about paying your rent. Yeah. And so therefore, the, the concern, I think, with that continues is that it becomes the... Um, it be, it becomes only available to a certain class in society. And mm. that's always a danger that yeah. you need to fight against, is that like it only becomes available to create culture if you come from a, a relatively comfortable middle-class background yeah. where you don't have to worry. And so that's something that, you know, people always need to be alert or looking out for it because of course there's a there's a um a drawbridge that tends to exist mm. uh and that that becomes um there's a danger of of losing sight of the real urgent necessary culture that needs to emerge which yeah. can often be protest culture yeah i think it's it's a hard one to to put your finger first of all i i've talked to a lot of artists and creatives and stuff like that from from being from process of doing this podcast and it, it's not easy for them uh, at all um and i've i really feel for them the other side of that is 
I feel like in general we don't talk about culture or it's undervalued and particularly our own culture. I think in Ireland we don't have a clue who we are anymore. Um, I get that feeling that Irish people, it, it's evo- the, the idea of an Irish person has evolved massively. Um, and I still think we're kind of trying to figure, figure ourselves out a little bit. But we do have a tendency to look outwards, probably because we're this island nation, we're a small country, we've always looked towards the UK and America and have been influenced by other places. But I, a part of me feels like people are starting to look, I don't mean this in a negative way, but inward and, and starting to like kind of look in the mirror a little bit and say, what, who are we? What do we have going on here? And I, I think that comes from other people coming to this country Ooh. and asking us more difficult questions that we never asked of ourselves. So that might be like, you know, what's the story with food culture in Ireland? Uh, and <laughs> I've been asked that question so many times and not been, I've, I've never known how to answer it. Um, yeah. But it's that type of thing. Yeah, I think, yeah, it's, it's, it's weird. I think there's like, like everything we're, we're, we're failing and succeeding at the same time. Yeah. And so, for example... Um, uh, a friend of mine is going to be involved uh, or I know a bunch of people that are involved uh, there's, there's an artist Emer Walsh and they're going to be representing Ireland at the Venice Biennale next year and, they're, they're, and their work is fascinating progressive dynamic all the sort of stuff you want to represent about Ireland right now in an interesting challenging politicised queer culture sort of way so that's like super exciting this mm. is Ireland presenting itself in a, in a, in a brilliant way um, I think where we fall down and where we're really falling down is I did a bus tour of the city uh, back in the spring and I just kind of slight work relation and slight curiosity factor and I'd never done one before because you don't tend to do those sort of things when you live in your own city and and obviously there's Wonderful elements, you know. You're mm. like the Dublin is amazing. One magical moment was squeezing through Trinity College and and the old Parliament Building where the Bank of Ireland yeah. is, and up on the top deck, and I felt like I was literally passing through history. I could yeah. see deck. I could see centuries of people almost in front of me. That was the most magical moment of that because it felt like there was this preserved element of the city that I'd never seen before from that angle. Um, and we do, you know, we do great things. We've got the, you know, uh, the Museum of Literature of Ireland, which is wonderful. And we've got all our Joycean and Wildean connections and, you know, treasuring Rosie Hackett and the Spire is great. And there's all of these things. And then there's a moment on the tour where we hit. And in fairness, now all of these tours are kind of probably tailored, but where we hit just a bunch of distilleries, mm. a bunch of whiskey distilleries. And like, I'm all for a whiskey experience on an Irish tour but good lord we hit like four of them in a row and you're like this is just if this is what we're presenting and obviously you know they're all they all have their merits I'm not coming down on the side of any one of them but it just the tour kind of ran out of steam I was like and there just some of them around here we know a good few of them between here and you know there's at least four I won't necessarily mention but it was like as a tourist I was like you know for me I just burnt out. I was like, oh, and here comes another one of those things. Mm. And so I think what we're creating, and, and that works for a certain audience, but I think what we're potentially losing dramatically is the a, is creating experiences for what, what... Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, 
we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Was coined, I think possibly still coined, the culturally curious. Yeah. Uh, and they're the 20-something market. They might come, they will all come to Dublin for one-off experience. Yeah. But it's all about why would you come back yeah. to the city? And like... That's something like you could have, a, you know, good debate about. Yeah. So, you know, it's all well and good to cherish our past, but it's like, where's the digital museum of art of Dublin? Where is mm. the futuristic big thinking ideas or even the small interventions? Mm. So I just feel our offering is burning out a little bit. Um, and I think that will be evidenced in time that we're, you know, there's just a dynamism lacking. Now, the, obviously, even the nightclub culture scenario and the licensing thing, it'll finally hopefully come into effect next year next year apparently yeah um and let's see you know in, in some regards i feel it'll be good for the city but in some regards it also feels like it's it's a little too late you know in that it's been so long it's taken so long and i think i'm not of this kind of scenario where if we open until 6 a.m in the morning suddenly you know every place will be like trends have changed as well so the idea of club culture has changed dramatically i think mm. over times i mean i met uh, DJ Johnny Moy in the street yesterday and we were kind of reminiscing on Dublin and you know you'd have uh, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday night there was a club happening in the city you would go to it it was you know um, Blue in the Kitchen on, on uh, Tuesday nights Switch on Sunday nights there was something every night that audience doesn't exist anymore that 20 something audience lives for festival moments lives for Instagram they don't necessarily have the they're not an alcohol based generation largely speaking yeah I, um, yeah so there's no there's no kind of thing of like oh my god six a.m. every everybody will be out every night. But I feel that the city has again lost a bit of a beat, especially when I think of something like Printworks in Manchester and how they really own club culture, not just in the UK even. You know, just does Manchester has dynamically made a play for London in terms of the success of huge spaces like that. Okay, that becomes it's a tourism. You know, it's yeah. it's like people come for big club nights. I know there's like Homo Block on in, in November in, in Printworks and people travel over for weekends there. Yeah. In the same way that I, I went to Pulp in June and on the tray on the dart out, met people from Wales that were like, well, we went to Dublin to see them because it's cheaper than going to London. So again, you know, people are traveling now for, for cultural experiences. Um, tickets are cheaper elsewhere as well. Of course, yeah. Like, uh, what would, like say for example, someone was coming over to visit you here and never been to Dublin before. Um, and, and you'd be an amazing person to, to kind of decide where, where we should end up going because you've got an extreme knowledge of all of these things. What, what would you do? Let's just say that you want to go for a dinner and then you want to go for a couple of drinks. And if there was mm-hmm. a bit possibility of a bit of a boogie afterwards, then... Yeah, uh, I think uh, if I was to take them for a bite to eat, I'd take them to Assassination Custard. 
Okay. Small little eight-seater on Kevin Street around the corner from here with Ken and Gwen, a couple who've just, their food is their passion. It oozes out of every pore. They make the most amazing, interesting food in the city. You know, they'll push you over the edge sometimes. You may not know you're into tripe. Suddenly you're into it. <laughs> you mightn't have had a, you know, a lamb's liver in a, in, in a few years. But trust me, they will make it delicious wow, okay. if you're willing to go there. Um, and so there's just something where they, they pour passion into their project. And it's all about, it. you know, and it's kind of like people in the city that really, that I really care for or that I really cherish are those people that are owner-run businesses. On Shaw, it's one of the best pubs in the city. Why? Because they pay a DJ to, D, to DJ every night. You yeah. know, they invest in the city. They invest in people. They genuinely care about what they offer. Um, Amazing. The Hacienda and Shays, obviously kind of legendary. Yeah. Um, there is no other place like it. Yeah. It's just the private members club that, you know, people genuinely are kind of taken aback by how unique and um, idiosyncratic and it's brilliant delightful so yeah. you know so they're the kind of experiences which is always because i used to do walking tours when i was doing lacool as well um called the lacool experience and they, every single one was a unique one mm. so i'd only do maybe one or two a week at most on occasion but i would every single one was different so because i have no interest in doing a tour that was identical because mm. i would be bored by that and i don't other people do that much better but i don't and it was all about living culture and so we would go around and maybe pop into a restaurant before it had opened. So basically stand in a building site and listen to the dreams of somebody. Yeah. Um, or I remember doing one for the Bram Stoker Festival where we started off on, I think it's St. Catherine's Church outside Thomas Street, on Thomas Street. And I walked people straight into the funeral home, into Massey's funeral home, to get an insight into the life of death, uh-huh. so to speak. So, yeah. so these sort of things are interesting. So you have to challenge yourself all the time. Um, Brilliant. Uh, and then for a boogie, like it's a challenge. Uh, it is. It's a challenge to find those spaces. Uh, Yukio is still brilliant. The little yeah. room upstairs is, is still kind of legendary. Uh, Izakai is always a, a fun default spot. Yeah. Uh, Tingu uh, on yeah. the other side is great. There's probably a lot more dynamic spots as well that I'm just not aware of. Or, you know. Um, uh, I don't know if there is. <laughs> That's the thing. You know, there's Index on the Keys are here and now, and 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 they're, and they're moving up to Opium now as well. Um, so, oh, yeah, there's there's stuff. But again, I, I think like everything else, it's always better to just listen to what the person coming wants to do, and then you kind of tailor what you're offering yeah. a little bit, and then obviously yeah. throw in a few curveballs. Yeah, that's. Uh, it sounds like a, a an interesting one. I'd love to try out that restaurant. It's fantastic. Uh, yeah, yeah. They don't do walk. Or they, sorry, it's only walk ups only, but it's it's wonderful. Brilliant. Um, the world of journalism has changed unspeakably since you you started working in it. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're not going to say if that's a good thing or a bad thing. But how do you go about curating content these days? Because first of all, let's just take if you're if you're getting ideas from digitally, there's just so much coming at you. I don't know how you can kind of manage to curate that and where you go to to actually curate that. Um, and then how much of a part of it does like conversations, word of mouth, still have a part of it? Do you remember that? Oh, you remember you watched films when I was younger, and he'd hear about the tip off. Yeah. You know, the tip off. Well, I remember the first issue I did. I'm on, we're on 27, 217 now or 216. 
and the first one was the 150th mm. of, of the magazine mm. and um, I remember seeing there was a it was probably a 15 year anniversary screening of Donnie Darko in the lighthouse that I went to see and I remember seeing the cheerleaders um, you know doing that amazing dance scene to to Gerald uh, Rand's Notorious and I googled cheerleaders and found out that there was a cheerleading competition out in Tala and I got my friend Sean and Yvette uh, Sean Brighthaupt and Yvette Monaghan to come out with me and photograph these cheerleaders holding up 150 really poorly printed out 150 <laughs> in a triangular format um, for the cover for the yeah. first cover um, so that's random that's but some, that, that's how like yeah that stuff pieces together sometimes creativity though that's yeah, or sometimes the spotting moments, like stuff I'm particularly proud of with the magazine. One, one in particular I remember was, uh, For Those I Love, uh, uh, released their album uh, just at the start of lockdown uh, mm. in 2020. And I remember uh, they were on um, Jules Holland, uh, and it was in March, and the album came out. And then the, the, I remember we were kind of stop-starty with the magazine because obviously the city was closed down, there was no place to put it, there was nobody around, so we kind of stalled for a few months. And then in, 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 the, um, in the autumn, uh, there was a documentary being made uh, by a friend of mine about uh, Damien Dimsey. Yeah. And so they, uh, Love Yourself Today. Yeah. Um, and they had a... Ross Colleen was the director of it, who runs Motherland Agency here. Um, so I'd been, they'd been in contact about doing something on it, and I saw it, and whatever I saw in it, it was shot in black and white, and I remember seeing a video for, for those I love that was shot in Daily Mount Park in black and white. And I, I was like, oh, I wonder, like, I just saw a connection in my brain between these two guys, what they were doing, and especially because their music is very emotional, heartfelt, mm. uh, grafted onto the the experiences of, of life and the city itself and living in it. And so I brought the two of them together for a conversation uh, in Marshall's Library on a Saturday morning uh, with Roisin uh, Murphy O'Sullivan photographing them. Wow. And that was, again, that was like, I don't know, like I guess maybe just being curious, stuff, something, re- you know, uh, it sticks in your brain or it stays there and it just stays for a while and sometimes you'll write down something and you'll get it and even last night I was having a chat where it was like it just there was an idea for ages and I kind of finally crystallized that this is one that I need to do for the magazine yeah um, so yeah conversations are great they can be triggers of course they're brilliant triggers with the right people but you have an incredible talent to do that though just from doing this uh, podcast and the, the challenge of getting people to have conversations with etc I know how difficult that is so your ability to make a moment like that happen, uh, it, uh, the bare bones of it sounds, people just don't appreciate what goes into that and what has to happen to make that happen. There's the creative idea, there's the, there's the scheduling, there's yeah. you know, yeah. bringing everybody and making yeah. them buy into an idea. It's, it's, it's not easy. Yeah, I know. I remember that one being particularly challenging uh, because we were, we were pulling it together and... Damien was up for it, and for those I love, um, was was engaged as well. His name escapes me now, ever so briefly. So I don't want to. Anyway, yeah, no uh, uh But the um, so yeah, we. I remember that evening. It was 
we, we, we were trying to find a location to shoot at a really nice location and I remember the uh, open house was on as well so I was trying to contact the Irish Architecture Foundation to see if there was any space like unique interesting space that we could get them in to shoot this and so it was literally at five to five on the Friday evening I got Marsh's library to be on board for Saturday morning to allow nice. us to get in there to shoot it so again there's always a bit of fly by the seat of your pants moments yeah. and then the great thing about that in particular, and the nice thing about the magazine was that was like a 8,000 word article. Wow. It ran across nine pages wow. because it deserved to. And, yeah. I, and, and I have the great freedom to decide what I want to, how long I want to stretch something. Incredible. Um, and so that's something you just don't get in, 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 in any other print publication in this country. Yeah. You, they won't decide, we're going to go with this one. We're going to let this one flow because it's good enough. You know, there'll, there'll be cutoff points. Because I guess in some regards... They obviously, you know, there's more politics at play, there's more personnel involved, there's sections, there's there's power plays. There's also maybe a a, a fear that their reader mightn't be that interested to read that long. Whereas mm. I'm like, you know what, if you're into it, you're into it. If I, I've got to trust what I'm into first and foremost, and then just hope that whoever our readers are go with that or flow with that or or like it or engage with it. And it might, you know, it's not always for everyone, but... Well, that's art, actually, isn't it? I mean, the the creativity is coming from you, um, and I I believe that it has to. Like, if any, like if a musician sits down to start writing a song, they all say it for yeah. for to other people to like it. It's like first of all, no, it has to come from some something that you know triggers something in you, and then you're create like you can't be thinking of other people when you're creating this content for real true art. The best art is made that way. Yeah, and I'm calling uh, it art because yeah. that's what it is. And like I don't really cop. I don't really read a lot of other. I don't look over my shoulder at what other magazines are doing here or what what other you know cultural culture sections of magazines are up to. Um, and I'm very I've no interest in interviewing a band on Zoom for 15 minutes that are coming into the country you know I don't doesn't interest me or going to London for an interview with an actor in a room for five minutes with PR handers behind them it's like yeah. that's zero interest yeah. um, um, and it's more like I, I did this series which I occasionally ha- happen to get to pull together called Passing Through which is when I get somebody that's in the city and I get to hang out with them and get them photographed, and but I, but the stipulation is they have to be available to be photographed, and they have to be make it themselves available for about ninety minutes at least. Yeah. So I got to do it with Wolfgang Tillmans, wow. um, and Kerry Chandler earlier this year. But like, it's more like it's interesting because they're not necessarily plugging a product or or their latest, and you just get to spend time. Like that's the most interesting thing is having the luxury of time with somebody that doesn't have the barriers of, you're just part of this process for the day. Like that's that's not much fun because they're just on, you know, they're kind of selling the same spiel to everybody. Yeah. Whereas having a coffee, walking through a park, having a pint, whatever the case might be, then you're suddenly relaxed and it's getting to those sort of, so I really enjoy those kind of, let's say, meaningful conversations. Sounds like you've come from a career that is like at the beginning was really, you know, in this media world where there's there's these people who are able to speak within media and everything is very trained and professional and to a certain extent lacking authenticity to a world now that you've created where actually you're, you're removing the PR guys. You're like, I'm not interested in that. I just want 
and I want to spend 90 minutes with you. We can be authentic people. Let's just talk about whatever. Yeah. And like it, it works and it doesn't work. I can see how it's a hard sell for some people. Uh, I can see how, you know, somebody's in town, you know, ultimately they'll go for the big, the biggest circulation or the, or the widest, you know. Um, yeah. But then, you know, interestingly, and I know this through the years, actually the, the artists or the, or the person themselves are usually super sound and super nice. It's the people that are second guessing on their behalf that sometimes... You know, I'm sure if somebody's coming into Dublin and they've done four interviews for 15 minutes, being asked the same questions in, in an identical way, more or less, that that person might like, you know, a moment where they get to have a genuine, more expansive conversation, not just about what they're plugging right now, but also maybe about other interests in their lives. And, yeah. and like that's like this format, you know, yeah. you get to you get to expand. Yeah. Um, and that for me is interesting. Um, it doesn't always work, understandably, because of people's time availability or, again, people making calls on other people's behalf, you know. Yeah. And there's always a little bit more risk involved because you're going to be a little bit more open. Yeah. And, you know, um, I don't really, like, I, I would never do an interview where somebody was standing in the corner observing what their client or, you know, uh, whoever they were representing was saying. Yeah. Because then you're like, whatever. It's just awkward. Well, also, they're probably not at the level. You know, it's not like, um, it's totally Dublin. So it's not, it's, uh, you know. And, and also that kind of fame game doesn't, you know, I'm, I'm interested in people with genuine life stories. Like like the one I unlocked earlier in this year was um, Ken Doherty, who runs Assassination Custard. I, I didn't make the connection that his mother is Patricia Hurl, who's an artist who had an amazing, like one of the most amazing um, exhibitions of this century, I would I would argue, uh, that was on wow. in Emma this year, uh, in the spring. And I didn't, I, I, I saw a little tail-end piece of, 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 of reference to this connection in an article in the Sunday Times Culture. And then I got the two of them together to talk to each other and kind of eavesdropped on it and had this, you know, magical experience of listening to their life story. Um, and so those sort of things I really love, you know. Um, so I guess I'm kind of more, a little bit bite-sizey, but also really still up for long form or still up for listening to a story about life. Um, so it's the complete polar opposite of somebody inverting the camera on themselves, talking about oh god or so I don't, I don't <laughs> yeah. we know I know too many of these people so I'm not you know it's like this kind of throwaway bite-sizey brand bollocksology that's you know that will get like like emotion emotional whatever yeah. emoji 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 that's all well and good but it's so disposable it's ultimately so what I need to do is create something every month and because it's in print something that will actually be around forever yes uh, and so maybe when somebody goes into the trinity archives and in a hundred years time and looks to excavate what happens um in dublin or what was relevant or of currency like so p committing something to print has a i guess maybe a little bit more heft because there's no going back there's it's a finality done to it's it. done and you can't you know get out your Tipex, yeah. or you can't delete that comment, so to yeah. speak. So it comes with a, a little bit more earnestness and maybe a little bit more responsibility. Mm. But I don't want to be that moany old pants that gives out about a whole new generation that are doing wonderful work for themselves in promoting products. 
<laughs> I was going to say themselves. <laughs> and themselves. Yeah. And themselves. And like there are some people that are really great at it. But yeah. sometimes I'm like, how do these businesses exist anymore? Because just everybody seems to be trundling into the coffee shop or the restaurant with the camera, talking about the product. And it's like, how do actually businesses get on with doing their job? Yeah. Um, and, you know, again, there's just a lot of it. And a lot of it is just, it feels like noise. It's a, and then occasionally there's... A few people that do it exceptionally. It's a crazy world, isn't it? Like I was walking the dog uh, in in the Phoenix Park last night, and there was a guy ahead of me, and I could see just just because it was raining, I had stopped under a tree, and for whatever reason, the dog she barks when I'm stopped at people. I, I think she's like protective or whatever. I don't know what she or she's scared. I don't know. So I saw the guy got a bit of a jump. And then he walked down to the end of this path and I came out and I was walking out, but he was just staying there. I was like, oh, I don't know. You know like, it'd be awkward to walk past this guy mm. now again because, you know, he might be afraid of the dog or whatever. Yeah. And I was like, she's not going to bark this time. But he was just standing there. And I was like, what is he doing? Because I couldn't see. He's just <laughs> like, and I was like, what? like, move, man. Come on, let me mm. walk down this path. Anyways, eventually I just walked down anyway. And, you know, he was just with the selfie stick out talking. Out. Yeah. And I don't know who or what he was talking. He probably, probably know he was talking to absolutely thousands of people. Mm. He's probably some super famous guy that I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it's just weird because there, I was just, we were in the most remote part of the park. And there's no one around apart from me and this guy. And it's just, it's a strange world. It, it really is. Yeah. Yeah, like I, I get it and I don't get it at the same time. And, and that's an age thing as well sometimes that you're like, oh my God, if I was, you know... 20 years younger I'd be probably all over this world and I'd be like you know everything would be a selfie um, and that's just a generational thing you know I remember like we like, I had the luxury of being able to go out on nights where and still where I wasn't recording stuff or where I wasn't being filmed mm. and I'm really glad of that <laughs> so you know and, and I think the weird thing is is there's this bizarre disconnect between <clears throat> social media influencers for the, for the want of a better word and some who are relatively successful, dynamic. And then I think there's this kind of, you know, we all know of some people that are that are kind of just creating the same world, but obviously without the audience. And there's a kind of a darkness and a sadness to that as well. Yeah. And a lot of it is projection. You know, social yeah. media is all about, especially the world of Instagram is all about projecting your best life, more or less. Yeah. Um, or over-emoting in other regards. So, you know, it's, it's a complex one, but, but you know, the, the, the truth and the reality, I think there's a, a huge divide for so many people. And it's being able to bridge that with the bandwidth of, of emotional intelligence, I think, is, is the challenge. My, yeah, I couldn't have put it better myself. It's, for, for me, I'd look at it, I'd be worried at it from the point of view of mental health. And, you know, I'm not, like... I'm a part of this world I think everybody is I spend two or three hours on my phone every day uh, looking at things posting things etc um, but I have a feeling that, and I'm not sure but it's starting to evolve a little bit and people are starting to turn the camera around again yeah. I hope and yeah. they're starting to take a picture of the sky a little bit more and it doesn't have to be you in the sky it's just the sky and yeah. um, it's going to be slow and it's going to take 10 or 15 years. But I do think that's things like Totally Dublin, like that, I think, here's my feeling, people are going to crave it more 
because people are going to realize more and more how inauthentic that world is or i yeah i very much hope so i think there was, there was something interesting that i read this week it was an interview uh in a magazine called courier which is about life and work and, and kind of new trends. And, and there was an interview with this guy, his name escapes me now, but he, he runs this website called Ribbon Farm. And it's kind of about trends and uh, kind of cultural and business trends. And he he two phrases that kind of stood out in my mind. And one is called premium mediocre. And premium mediocre basically can be best described as uh, an image of food on Instagram that doesn't taste as good as the image looks. And there's a lot of premium mediocre out there. Mm. I think because obviously, you, you know, like, so it is that kind of gap like between the, the notion of like, everything is epic. And sometimes it's like, genuinely, it's not. Mm. You know, I saw somebody yesterday uh, going around a plaza. Somebody shared it with me. I don't know who the person is, but they went around the plaza in Galway, basically in, in promoting Supermax. And they had this like, Jan Tiersen-esque music behind it and it was kind of like I think it was like I think it's the end of the world I think we're doomed <laughs> you know it was just a, there, was a, there was a bizarre beautiful sadness it was like this is literally a filling station these are literally <laughs> chicken fillets yeah. and I no offence to the person doing it it's you know each to their own and the best to look. Uh, so I don't want to be this kind of like higher than thou. But like there was also, it was like going, obviously I was going to say one level, this isn't the content we need in our lives. But by virtue of the fact that it was shared with me, probably it is the content that I need in my yeah. life because it gave me a great <laughs> moment of joy and happiness to kind of be snarky about it for a yeah. few seconds with a good mate of mine. Um, so premium mediocre is one. But then the other phrase that they described is called domestic cozy. And so that is the kind of new trend of the camera um, inverting away from oneself and they likened the ideas of domestic cozy as around the idea of cooking at home or knitting um, so you know like the Tom Daly's all over that one um, so I think yeah, yeah. yeah I think there, I, I really hope that there will be a moment in which a generation realizes that it's not all about themselves yeah yeah, yeah. I think if we could just eradicate the term I'm obsessed from the English language, then I'd be happy enough about that. Um, yeah. Because people are obsessed about everything these days. Yeah, and I think the currency is diluted then. If, if everything is brilliant, then there's, you know, you're flatlining. Mm. Or if everything is the most epic experience you've ever had, or if every meal is the best meal you ever ate. Um, but then I suppose I'm of the kind of older generation. I'm not saying it brings integrity to it, but just has this kind of like... Uh, I like stuff, I dislike stuff, I have opinions about things. And then I think there's a there's a whole generation that actually doesn't care. They just, you know, scroll, 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 like, 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 like. And they don't get head up about stuff. Like, I'm the sort of person who's like, I know who owns bar groups, who own restaurants in the city, and, and will have be like going, I'll always be like, I want to support local here. Mm. Um, but look, most people are like, that looks fun. I want to go there. You know, so sometimes I'm, there's an overthinking, overanalyzing that just comes from maybe the nature of what I do and the age I'm at. Uh, whereas, you know, new generation is like, get over yourself, granddad. You know, yeah. it's just a thing. Yeah. I've already moved on. What are you doing stuck in your, you stuck in your, uh, you know, your old opinion uh, 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 trench? Yeah, well, listen, I, I hope that you continue to do it because... Uh, 
I, if so, if you don't do it, then we're, it's gone, man. It's gone. We're it's oh, well, look, if I don't do it, somebody else will. That's the other great thing in life. Well, don't worry about your own self-worth. There'll always be somebody that'll step up to the mark or push you over the cliff. Mm. Where does your, your philosophy of life come from? Is that something that has been tailored over years? Yeah, I guess so. It's, it always kind of evolves. But like, I guess the thing is I kind of... You seem to have a good attitude towards it. I wake up in the morning looking for the best of the day. You know, I do that with the magazine. There's there's a lot of problems in the city, and we yes. we allude to them in in a in a more subtle context. But we're not. I we don't do opinion pieces. There's yeah. enough opinions everywhere in the world. Uh, so I make a point of that. We don't have columnists uh, because there are good columnists elsewhere that can tackle the 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 sores of the city in any one moment in time. Um, but we do we do reference issues. They are referenced as part of articles that people want to read about it, but we're not kind of, you know, I, I kind of like, I live in the city, I've lived here a long time. I, you know, I genuinely look for the best in everybody and look for the best in every day. And I usually am incredibly uh, conflict averse. So I don't go out of my way to, I don't seek to cause issues or to create scraps or whatever else so i and i guess that's the philosophy is that um this is the challenge of doing the magazine every month is is being continually inspired by the people in the city doing great things and particularly the people in the city that don't have the platform um that that uh, that's that others do so i you know i've done a magazine for three four five years now and there isn't i don't think there's one person on the cover that's a known person in the city or a you know a high profile because yeah. they 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 can go elsewhere there's other places for that whereas for us like i know there's an article that we're, we're doing for the next issue which is about the it's called the singles game and it's about people that basically would email uh, myself and zara hederman who's our music editor uh releasing singles on a diy perspective so i was like Normally, I, I just don't respond to any of these because we don't have the capacity or resources to review singles. And I yeah. don't have the capacity or resources to respond to people. Yeah. But then I did wake up one night and I was kind of going, what if we just tried to catch a bunch of these and just not listen to the music and just pick five of them and go out to these people and talk to them about why they're doing music, what they're in it for, what enjoyment they get out of it. But these are people that, have, that are, don't have a label don't have a PR company. And so that excites me yes. because these are all people that don't have the push. Uh, and so I'm always looking for people. And that some don't of them are so much. incredibly talented as well. It's yeah. And, it's like, and also it's like, also I wanted to take that kind of objectivity out of it. I was like, I don't care. Like, I might think your track is utterly rubbish, <laughs> but like, that's my opinion. Yeah. But like, you're doing it for all the best reasons possible. And that's just my opinion. And like you, you know, it's much easier to give out about something than to do something. Mm. And so I have ultimate respect for anybody, whether they're writing a poem or doing a piece of theatre or trying to get an opera off the ground, whatever it is, by just doing it, you're creating, you know, take, you know, it may not be to my liking or my taste or somebody else's, but like respect the fact that you've actually got up in the morning and started something. Yeah. And finished it, hopefully. Imagine... Put yourself in five years from now and you're about to write a story about Dublin that's going to make you very happy to write that about the current Dublin that would be five years from now. What would you like to write about Dublin? What would you like to see happen here in this city? What would you be proud of? Um, 
I think I think there's obviously the very obvious thing is is the housing crisis. Now, that is yeah. the big that is the big cloud over so many people and so many people's existence here. Um, and it's a challenge. And there's you know there's no easy one stop solution to this. It's it's the it's just a lot. Of, you know it's it's not unique to Dublin also. Um, but it's quite pronounced here. Um, uh, but besides that, I think uh, you know what I want. What I what I want to see in Dublin is a city of of unique experiences. Um, and so I know you know like Dublin. I don't want to see. I want to see elements that are essential to the city being supported. And, and so, for example, there's a music shop called O'Neill's that closed down recently. Yeah. And it is... And I know that the, the couple that were running it and their daughter was supporting them. Um, but losing something like that is losing so much... And, and I don't know the reasons why they closed it down. So I'm, I'm speculating here, obviously. Uh, I know that her parents were, were quite elderly, but they were there and, like... You lose that, you lose a part of what makes Dublin special for somebody to live in and somebody to visit. Yeah. And I think we're losing so many of those. And and those are the sort of places that need to be just supported. Supported yeah. to exist, supported to stay there. Yeah. So it's kind of like preserving the facades of, of old buildings. It's about realising that this shop isn't all about the economics of existence, that there is more, the more about it, there's more to life than just... Um, uh, you know uh, the abacus of money mm. um, and so I think we're losing so much all the time uh, and there's an element of like oh here's another chain and here's another whatever else coming into the city um, and so if you if we don't preserve the things that make our, that make the city special and then also not just preserve but create the the space for new ideas to flourish yeah you know like I remember 20, 10, 10 odd years ago there was a initiative about vacant spaces in the city and still you walk around and you see so many empty spaces. And the problem is they're owned by insurance funds or it's complicated. But it's like if you don't support the window, the, the front of house of your city, and, and not by just window dressing, literally, but mm. by starting with maybe window dressing mm. and then supporting the facade behind it, mm-hmm. um, you're really, you know, there's... Parts of the city are really bleak right now. Yeah. And parts of them are, really are, 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 are fantastic. You know, like the pedestrianisation initiative of Cable Street. Yeah. So there are good things. Cable Street is one of those most wonderful streets in the yes. city. You know, yeah. but I think the big issue with the city has been it not having the balls to get somebody in that can make proper decisions and take a risk and gamble and succeed and fail on occasion. But it just doesn't have that pulling it together, you know. Yeah. And I think so. There's so much of half joined up thinking, and then the ball is dropped. Um, and we did an initiative with Nyler Nine, who I work with as well, mm. um, the brilliant um, music guy, uh, independent music blogger. Um, he we did something for Culture Night last year in the Fruit and Veg Warehouse, and we did a takeover of it, um, and it was spectacular. And and you know it had to close at eleven, and that was okay. And there was a lot of security and we didn't we weren't able to allow everybody we wanted in but it was a fantastic experience and um and then you know it's like well then we have to move on from that and and so i guess in some in some regards you go back to it and people realize oh what's the next step and i feel maybe you know just pushing the boundaries all the time pushing the boundaries in the right direction and getting the right supports for it 
and having a seed fund for failure you know yeah. it's really important i remember years ago there was this when ireland was in the recession martin mcaleese who's mary's husband yes president mary's husband president mary's husband they had this like we've got a fund and we're going to give two big ideas five hundred thousand. I don't know what those ideas were. I don't know what happened with them. But why don't we have an idea of a fund? And we're and I think the Arts Council in Fairness is starting to address that. And we're going to give a uh, hundred uh, ideas, you know. Yeah. It doesn't have to be 500,000. A hundred ideas, 10,000 yeah. euros. You know, so it's all about micro ideas, room for failure, and then joined up thinking, bigger picture thinking. And I think that needs sometimes just somebody that can call the shots. Yeah, and I think we lack that in the city. Um, we lack somebody that can actually, you know, uh, make big, brave, bold decisions, and not be fearful of failure or not be fearful of the political, um, the political peacocking of the moment. Mm. Yeah, um, that's maybe called a Lord Mayor with power. Yeah, maybe, but you know, but like, but somebody who gets the brief. And is just dynamic enough to think about what the city wants to be in 20 years' time, in five years, in 10 years, you know. Yeah. Um, and there's, there's also, I hasten to add, there are a lot of wonderful people doing wonderful things for the city all the time, uh, within the council, outside of the council, within the political sphere. So it's not raining on the existing parade. It's just thinking about a new way of doing it. Yeah. And, and, and making sure, as you say, that it's unique and it doesn't just become another random European city that doesn't have much to say for itself. Well, I would love to see what I, I would love to see. It's like, well, here's what we want Dublin to be in 10 years time. Not just a fantastic literary city, not just a fantastic music city, but, you know, a digital art city, a clubbing city. A DIY city. It's like if we don't dream up that new future, then we won't realize it. Yeah. Um, but also, it's like, you know, little micro interventions. Like, as a literary city, I remember this this initiative in somewhere in France a few years ago called a little, um, it was like a little booth that you would just press, you would maybe type in a word and you would get out a little poem. It would give you a poem. You know, magical moments that lighten your day, yeah. you know? I want to see that sort of stuff in the city. I want to see smart thoughts in the city. Yeah. And it's like, it feels like, you know, somebody will do it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's up to you, Michael. Oh um, my God, you couldn't pay me. <laughs> thank you so much for your time. I really, really appreciate no worries, it. My pleasure. Um, I know that it's it's not easy to come here in the morning at times. Oh, it's so, actually uh, perfectly fine. Yeah. But uh, I really do appreciate it. Thank you so much. <clears throat> my pleasure. 
Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.